Welcome to See It and Feel It with Dr. Brett. And I'm Dr. Brett, and I'm here today with my buddy, Amar Bellera of Bellera & Associates. He's an athlete, he's a financial planner, he's an insurance guy, but he also just passed his CFP and he had a baby not too long ago. So you got a lot and a full plate. We're gonna get into sports and everything like that, but cool. tell us about that test. I mean, how'd you do all that studying and you know, with the baby and how'd you manage this whole thing? Uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe I think the baby kind of hunkers you down because you don't have a choice. This uh, COVID and the baby, right? You're hunkered. Yeah. We're home. It's, right. it's work and read and listen to audiobooks, I guess. Work and, yeah. What kind of audiobooks are you <laughs> listening to? Um, actually, right now, I'm, I'm listening to Robert Ludlum's Born Identity because uh, we watch it so much. Totally. And I'm going to read the book after, but I, I wanted to listen to it. I figured, and, and this speaker is doing a really good job. On old like the European I love that. Accents, you know, you know, I um I've listened to Dune on the uh, Amazon audio, audio, and yep. um you know I sometimes you know I do personal growth, right? I do psychology right. and coaching and all this stuff, right? But sometimes instead of giving somebody a self help book, I'll tell them to go back 1965, I believe Frank Herbert Dune, the story that he wrote back then is very profound and the audiobook is really cool. They do it with different voices and they do it well. You know, I've listened to all the Michael Connolly stories, the the Harry Bosch novels and uh, right. you know, um, what is it? Matthew McConaughey did those movies where the, you know, they're the Lincoln Lawyer series. That's right. all Matthew McConaughey, uh, 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 Michael Connolly. But anyway, Dune is like one of those books that's really well done on audio. And it's a lot about overcoming fear. And we talk about that all the time in psychology and sports psychology and in life right. coaching, but you know, you're actually living it, right? I mean, you haven't had much fear as far as I've seen. How do you, <laughs> well, <laughs> how do you well, manage that? Heading, heading, heading into the, C, the CFP exam, I, I had all and only fear. <laughs> I, think even, I think even when you finish it, you don't even feel confident, um, but it, it drains you. It's, it's a six, six hour ordeal, two, two sessions of three hours. I mean, they're they're, they're putting you to reading work. That's yeah, sure. well, it's over, right? You did pass, correct? It's over. And 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 that's why, like, I couldn't, I, I wanted to go back to this Born Identity book because I, I just wanted just something that sort I kind of let knew. go. Yeah. yeah, totally. I just downloaded The Expanse. Did you see that, you know, Amazon series called The Expanse? It's a sci-fi book. And, you know, it sounds like just because I'm mentioning Dune, like I'm into sci-fi, but I'm really never have been in my life. It's just um, the series was done well. So I'm just curious what the books are like, because as you know, nine times out of 10, the books are so much better when you yeah. actually read and listen to them. Or, you know, we're busy right. now. So like the audio books are so much better because when they're you're, helping. Yeah. You what are you doing? Walk into the baby and then, you know, and then doing the. Uh, the baby takes my full attention. I, I, I'll listen to this when like 20, 30, 40 minutes, baby goes to sleep. Mentally exhausted. So I just need to sit back. And if I, if I start to watch TV, it's the, it's the worst. I don't even want to watch TV. Mm. It just will yeah. keep you awake. And then next thing you know, you're watching something that's you know not a, a soccer game on tv which is the only other exception that i like to get <laughs> yeah of course you know what's funny is the born identity mr is something i read whenever it came out 20 30 years ago whenever the original right. whenever that original book came out i read most a lot of robert ludlum books a lot of those stories 
And then, um, you know, who's the one that wrote Patriot Games? I used to read those books too. What author is that? Um, not Lundgren. It wasn't Ludlum, right? It was like, you know, anyway, Born Identity, that whole series was amazing. I don't know if you remember like books like The Day of the Jackal or like The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. I mean, I'm really dating myself here, but they're, wow. they're incredible stories. Like, you know, the, some of these books are just so like awesome, so well written, so deep. And, and they go into a lot of detail around things like, you know, killing people or assassination or, you know, they go into the right. details of how you, you know, put those moving parts together. Well, it's good that you recommend books that are, you know, outside of the scope sometimes of your engagement with someone. Yeah, you know, 100%. Like I've got three books, you know, The Big Leap by um, Gay Hendricks. It's an amazing self-help book. I read around, that. Yeah, self-sabotage, right? It deals with self-sabotage and upper limit upper, issues. Upper limit problems. Totally. That's, right? That was my takeaway. Yeah. Drop the tennis ball. Totally. And we, we all kind of can have value in, you know, examining our limiting beliefs and our upper limits, right? And right. then um, and then I'm a big Eckhart Tolle fan because I think he's one of the few spiritual types. You know, a lot of these people that get famous, they aren't always congruent. And an Eckhart Tolle character seems totally congruent. So the New Earth or Power Now, those are pretty amazing books. Um, you know, so... I, I recommend those two, and then occasionally, you know, a book like Dune, which is all about more or less overcoming fear. It's an amazingly complex, entertaining story, but the essence of it is to not give in to fear. And, you know, you're a former athlete and a pseudo-athlete at this stage. I know you're mostly a dad and a, a worker bee or whatever, but yeah. I would imagine in your lifetime you've done a lot of that overcoming fear thing. Well, I, I, for sure, first, Dune is on my list now. So I've, I've, I've written it down three times. I'm going to, I'm going to put it on. I don't actually use Audible, but I use Libby. It's just using oh, the library yeah. Yeah. To, to, to loan it and you don't actually yeah. hold on to it. Oh, um, got but it. Audible actually allows you to own the rights to it. So I yeah, thought so about that. Can, yeah. So you can, you know, you get like, uh, it's like $13.99 a month or something like that. And then you get like one credit a month. And these books would be, you know, 20, 30 bucks or something to buy otherwise. And then you can buy more credits, like three for $39. Right. It's a great deal because if you want to re-listen to a book, like some of those Bosch stories, the Michael Connolly stories, I love detective stories because of the psychology, right? Yeah, it's sort of, it's so amazing. That's my genre and like movies, murder, mystery, sort of detective. I like all that stuff, right? The, 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 the law mystery this action adventure is like being a little kid again and just you know listening to something that is not going to use a ton of thinking power but it's it's actually fascinating because the reader just does such a good job with his voiceovers on all all, all his outside languages he does a really really good job but dune is committed to memory that's awesome did you ever see that uh George Clooney movie Solaris. Um, the actress was gorgeous. I can't remember her name. I think she's Irish or Scottish, but um, it's a, also a sci-fi story. And I actually went back and re, you know, listened to the book on Audible, and it was kind of cool because it was so different from the movie. Sometimes the right. the books are, you know, way different. By the way, they're actually doing a remake of Dune now. It should come out probably next year. Because really? the original the original movie was like garbage. It was just a terrible movie. And now they're probably going to do something 
hopefully, you know, really good because that story is, as you'll, as you'll see, it's very complex and very deep and very creative and very original. And I'm a huge fan. <laughs> you, you know, like, but you were mentioning the, the big leap. Um, yeah. You recommended that book uh, to yeah, you several, several years ago. I, uh, I, I read it. it. Yeah. I mean, since I've been in so much coursework, there's been such little pleasure reading that I've taken anyone's advice to people who've even given me books and I've just put them and they're collecting dust. But now, now is my opportunity, right? I'm, I'm, I'm back and going to carve out like time that I, that I used to have for, you know, textbook reading. Now yeah, it's, totally. Now well, I get you to know what's interesting? To- I was thinking that if you're using a stroller with a baby at some point and he's taking a nap, you're listening to a book on tape while you're strolling, no? That's, they, what, that, I, that, that's what I was that's, thinking. That is also what's happening yeah. too. Unfortunately, yeah. the last month I've been in this, you know, uh, studying. I, I, the only working out that I've done is, is I go out in the backyard. I make him go in this jumper thing so he gets to work out too. And I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, doing <laughs> sprint workouts. I'm kicking a soccer ball. Uh, by the way, I've already gotten him like obsessed with uh, soccer. That's I think it's a so good thing. amazing. How old, yeah. how old is he? I mean, he's eight and a half months. He sees a soccer ball. He's, he's obsessed just, with his, soccer. Eight and a half his months. nonverbal communication <laughs> is just, he is locked in on the soccer ball and he's making noises. He wants me to go knock a soccer ball into right. the <laughs> <laughs> you know, your, your son's name is Milan for those of us that, Milan? Um, right? Milan. I call him Milano, right? Milano. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> um, I, you know, I can't wait to be an uncle, but I'm just can't make it back to Connecticut. They've got us, you know, shut in or locked in here from the, from Florida. So it's not going to happen anytime soon, but I will see him. Hopefully, you know, like I'll see you guys next spring, right? Next fall. And I, you, you know, know what I mean? uh, like, would be great is, yeah. is he needs a golfing coach. Although <laughs> I, I don't know how many people retain you as a golf coach, but at if eight they months don't, old, not too many at eight months old. But. No. And, and <laughs> I meant maybe more like four or five, six, but if people don't retain you as a golf coach, um, I got to imagine that some of your, Meetings are done on the course, being your background. Oh, God, yeah. You know, I've taught, like, so many kids to play golf just because it's a great way to do psychology and sports psychology, right? You go to the driving range. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily a physical swing instructor, but I understand the fundamentals. Right. So I can, you know, get a kid to, you know, develop a really nice little swing until he gets, like, real lessons down the road. And then the sports psychology element, the attitude and the purpose and the joy and the passion, the creativity, that we're always working on, which is really cool. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to do your son for half price. <laughs> Just kidding. I'll take it. I love you. I'll take it. <laughs> this is but like, what, what age? Is like one of my best friends in life here. No, I'm just being what, what age? <laughs> what age is it, uh, you know, reasonable? I mean, they got to swing. Well, by two years old, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas. Two. Oh, two years old. Two oh, years wow. old, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Tiger Woods. They all had real golf swings at two. Now, these guys are top 10 in the world or top one in the world at different times, right? These are some of the best golfers ever, right? Um, and so they're kids that literally had, if you look at the videotape, at two years old, they've got a hell of a little golf swing, right? It's pretty so what, what, amazing. What are they hitting with? These wiffle balls or something? Yeah, they have the little, like, you know, wiffle ball golf balls, exactly. But, you know, if you look at other sports, I mean, some of these kids, like, you know, Peyton Manning's kids, I mean, they're throwing, or even Peyton Manning and Eli Manning and his other brother, right? The three of them, you see the tape when they were 
you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, and they're like playing football and tackle football and everything. It's pretty Andre amazing. Agassi. Andre Agassi, four years well, old. I remember watching, yeah. uh, not not me being four, I was a little older. Yeah. I remember watching an old data tape of him winning a youth tournament and him saying that he wanted to be a professional tennis player. It was like, yeah, oh. and that's pretty amazing. But remember the book Open? Did you ever read the book Open? Oh, that's read open. That's a phenomenal book. It's the Agassi story. Him and um, you know, and oh. him and this about his background and everything. It's an autobiography. He had somebody help him write it as well. It's a really well written story, and it's a you know, it talks about Agassi. I haven't read it in forever, so I don't have it totally accurate here. But basically, his father, I think, wanted the older sister to become a pro, and she just didn't have the commitment. So then no. the father really pushed him. I think they're Armenian. I'm not, I can't remember exactly, but they, the father really pushed him. And that was part of, I think, the reason that he had such an attitude on and off in for a, a while. In a positive way? No, not, not really. Not necessarily. Oh. No, it was pretty, you know, See, I guess he was hitting more balls per day than like, you know, pretty you're much You're supposed to, to, to the point well, where it's a little dangerous. You're, you're going to hurt your rotator cuff or something. Well, he, you know, obviously he was a tough athlete and got away with it or whatever. But yeah, I mean, he had, he got pushed pretty hard. So, and not all, you know, you're doing it, you know, you're talking about this in a playful way and, you know, you're, right. you're teaching your son to love, you know, soccer in the style that, you know, is sort of my heart too. It's like, you're just introducing it in a fun, creative way, not this sort right. of pushy parent type A way. I remember no one over pushing me, but I remember me being so obsessive about the sport that I um, remember, I remember being that age, 15, 16, 17, and thinking that uh, if someone is this obsessive about becoming a professional athlete, then maybe it's not actually that healthy. And I, I, I had a little bit of an awareness to that at that point, because I was willing to give up a bit of a social life. I was willing to, you know, just have less involvement as long as I could train, as long as I could play. I kind of enjoyed it. But I also kind of was obsessive. <laughs> yeah, well, I think almost every top athlete probably is obsessive. I mean, I think that the competition is so severe. That's pretty much the only way you're going to make it is if your commitment is all in, right? Unless you're like a, in my day, like a Daryl Strawberry type, you know, people that had so much God-given ability, Talent. they could kind of get away with, you know, some of the, you know, other issues. And, um, you know, but for the most part, you know, that's not the case. You have to be, you know, in top form mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. There are guys that are so gifted. You know, we know them and Antonio Brown or whatever, right? Guys that just sort of, they're a little bit off psychologically and they have attitude issues and stuff and they can get away with it for a time being, but it almost always catches up to them at some point. Yeah, I, I, I look at the way I'm, you know, and I, I joke with people, like you say, you know me, and being playful, but, you know, I'm bringing my boy around this, but hopefully mm, he yeah. sees it all with positive reinforcement. But the yeah. moment he wants to pick up a glove and a ball, let's throw it. The moment he wants yeah. to fish, let's go. Yeah. And, uh, well, hopefully mix, you'll mix introduce the glove and the ball too, right? So you give him choice, yeah. right? You know, because... There's a lot of bias now towards multi-sports, right? Because it gives you more flexibility and then he gets to sort of choose what his I agree. 
core is, right? And the golf thing, you know, you started later. I started at 15 and then really take, I took 10 lessons at 18. So I didn't really start for real until age 18. And that's pretty, today that would be considered very old, you know? So introducing a kid to golf at three, four, five, six years old would be amazing. I mean, not in a stressful way, but just, you know, in a loving way, in a fun way. I mean, because if they can develop that golf swing early, I mean, it's just a huge advantage than trying to learn it in adolescence or early adulthood. Yeah, I mean, the same goes for like swimming too, right? It's It, it yeah. happens at such young ages. Totally. And some of these kids are pushing. I mean, we've all been in pools where you could see the father dunking the kid or something like, and the <laughs> right. kid's screaming and all that stuff. So there's a lot of, you know, sometimes there's, there's just a lack of common sense, but you don't, you don't have, I mean, you have a nice way about you and a, and a tremendous uh, natural wisdom, emotional intelligence. It's what I've loved about you from the beginning. You know, you and I remember we met on that handshake like 12 or 13 yeah, years ago, or whatever it was. I shake my buddy Amar's hand. I, he wasn't my buddy, but I shook your <laughs> hand and I literally said, you and I are going to be friends. I felt it on the handshake. It was pretty crazy. Right on. Right? No, and, you're, you're, you're yeah. right. What, um, you know, you know, it, tell it, me about, yeah, it, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I was always thinking about with, uh, that really drove home to me is, is one time as a, as a soccer coach, we were getting a lot of education, um, cause we, we, we were part of a group of coaches in a program that was getting continuous education from cultures of soccer and how they groom the kids on the youth level so that we would be able to relate. And a lot of uh, um, psychologists would come and speak to these groups of coaches. And a, a couple things, you know, hit home for me, at least from the soccer world, which is why I'm so partial. I have so much bias to this team sport, maybe because I just know it better. And maybe other sports are supposed to relate the same way. But in the top flight, you know, clubs in the world, Europe to USA, you know, the first rule of being a part of these clubs is to be a professional. So the boys know how to be good friends and a good teammate to each other. <clears throat> Whereas we may have grown up in an environment where you're younger, you're hazed. You know, that's not <laughs> a cool environment, right? But I'm, I'm hoping to kind of like see that these clubs go – go in this direction of, of being a quality club, you know, training a young boy or girl to be a professional. But the psychologist who made a point to me was, um, he was trying to talk to parents and coaches about how you communicate to these players after big games, small games, games where they don't get on the field, games where they're on the field the whole time. You know, sometimes their heads are deflated. Sometimes their heads are, um, you know, enlarged. But he talked about, when the child gets in the car and the game and the sport is done, whether he made the winning goal, hit the winning, you know, hit the winning hit or saved the winning or missed all the above or struck out, you get in the car and you don't ask them, hey, so what were you thinking about during that moment? You, 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 change, their, you change their thought. You bring them back to, you know, we're going to head home. We'll be there in 10 minutes and uh, we're all eating, you know, Chicken yeah, tonight. totally. Um, you know, my perspective is to allow the kid to sort of choose, right? If he wants to process the game, that's terrific. Then you go with the flow as a dad. 
if he's not ready or willing or doesn't want to go there, then we go in a different direction. So it's like you're just being present and patient and poised as a dad, being sure. in the moment and sort of feeling out the experience and allowing your son to sort of choose whether he wants to go there or not, or your daughter, right? So that's my perspective on that one. Let the kid's energy dictate it because dad's so present, he's actually paying attention. He doesn't really have an agenda. That's the ideal scenario. I think that's a, that's, that's, that's a good compliment too as well. Because um, <laughs> awesome. you, you're, we're always going to be, even now as you know, parents and the games are over, we're always going to be next to the parent that's going to have that immediate you know, reaction yeah. and say, what's on their mind or maybe over, you know, a pray, you know, applaud the, the player. I, I, I don't know. There, there's gotta be a happy medium ground, but I guess it's just stay present. Well, the hard part is just to like, you know, what I've seen is for parents to either, you know, they tend to worry, right. Or, or worry too much or, right. you know, or obsess themselves. Right. And then they project, right not staying present right is a right when you project it's a form of not staying present right you're going down the road right you're trying to turn a little seven-year-old into a d1 athlete right and who knows maybe maybe he can get there and maybe he can't but that's a lot of pressure on a seven-year-old right so it's right. like you want to like enjoy the experience a little bit too and that's tricky when you're in these super competitive environments or competitive towns it depends some towns are more competitive than others right you know some areas are more competitive or more laid back and you know at the end of the day though i, I think you have to have the it the genetics as well it's not just right environment 100 yeah, percent. you know these kids that like i played golf with a a, a former nfl guy um a couple weeks ago and you know he's like was he good He's just learning the game, so he's not good yet. I mean, he had some good holes here and there. Um, but more than anything, he had this sort of ridiculous natural size. I mean, it was absurd. You know, it's like he had like a 30-inch waist and, you know, and arms that were like gigantic and, you know, shoulders that were gigantic. And maybe he was 235 pounds, but, you know what I mean? He probably had 6 or 7% body fat. I mean, he just was a extraordinary specimen wow because wow. you just don't really make it to that level even in baseball i think the average visual acuity is like 2015 or 2012 i mean their eyesight is far superior to your average person's eyesight they're seeing right. they're picking up that baseball in a way that most people aren't so there's a huge genetic component whether people want to acknowledge that or not they're really you know, yeah. And then there's this thing around the it, around psychology and poise, right? The ability to be clutch. We see it in the NFL all the time, right? Um, what's his name? The former Oregon quarterback that's playing now for the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, you know, he, you know, this guy is just, I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but his natural ability is crazy. I mean, He's a rookie, comes right in, and he's making some rookie mistakes or whatever, but his ability is just unreal. And then you see other other quarterbacks. I watched um, part of the New England game last night, and Brian Hoyer, who's gone from team to team to team, came in and was so terrible that New England had no chance, right? He just, like, could never make it as a starting quarterback. He just didn't have the it, right? That ability to stay 
so poised under pressure like a Russell Wilson, you know, or Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady type? That DNA is huge in the top level of all these sports. I mean, it's a body size and speed goes a long way, but I guess maybe that's why, uh, you know, also I've, I'm, I'm 5'8", 158 pounds. So it's, it's not, you what know. Were you in, what were you in your prime? <laughs> oh my God. Um, you know, starving, I guess my parents would say, starving, need to feed him. Um, 9,500 pounds. <laughs> you mean in high school? Like in yeah. high school, right? Yeah, school well, I was real. Yeah. I was super small in high school as well. It's, it's such a disadvantage, especially in <laughs> a sport like baseball. Maybe in soccer, you could get away with it a little bit. How big is Lionel Messi, by the way? No, and that's there. There are exceptions. Not big. Five two, no. one fifty five. A lot of muscle. One sixty five. I bet you he trails between that ten pounds. Five two, stocky, strong. You know, just lean and. Wow. Fast, explosive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not There's the fastest a... player on a on a forty yard dash. He's he's not going to beat a lot of people in a in a foot race. But moving in five feet, ten feet lateral to you, he's just he's just unreal. I mean, he's you know he's training professionally every single day. He's at the top top of his game. Actually, at thirty at his age right now, thirty four, he's maybe you know a year or two off three off of his top of his game, but he's still up there. Yeah, you know, in the Kansas City game last night, um, the running back was like 5'7", 210 or 206 at 5'7". I mean, he's so fast and so strong Jeez. and so big. What but a pull. You know, yeah, exactly. Isn't it unbelievable to be 5'7", like 206 or something and just, you know, you just you know, so stop much a guy like, money. yeah, right? The, the thigh muscle and everything. What do you love about soccer? Why does soccer, you know, light you up so much in this lifetime? Oof. I think it's the it's the international like competition and it's the clash of all cultures. You have certain styles of play that exist here in USA. Um, sometimes I can't always define it, but you here it's a bit of a melting pot. So you'll grow up with the style of players that are from South America and Europe, and you get a somewhat a bit of a a taste of that and then you experience on these on on these clubs that have a ridiculous amount of salaries that they pay and are are very very profitable in England, Italy, Spain, Germany, France and to even top it off I get a world cup basically every single year whereas the normal person says I'm going to I can't wait for the world cup to happen every 4 years where the nations play each other we actually experience the best of the top Europe clubs face off in a tournament every single year. I mean, this, it means so much <laughs> to the population out there. People <laughs> live and breathe it. And when you would go to towns that support their local club, or just let's use an example, I'm in, I'm in Rome or I'm in Barcelona or I'm in Madrid, you know, these flags are hanging from apartments and it's just normal. People love their club. Now, I will say, I have family abroad. Not everyone is a soccer fan. So, yeah. I, 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 you know, people are also normal and they have normal, like, hobbies that are not just sport-related. Um, but I, I think it's the, the culture I really love. You know, I love traveling. 
Uh, I'll always yeah. love the idea of being a, a, a player who can travel, you know, having the job of being able to see all these cities and towns and lifestyle. I mean, it's just kind of cool. You've traveled recently, even over the past two years. So- you know, that's, you know, like I was just talking to my wife about this. This is like the first year I haven't got on a plane in more, probably 20, 30 you years. You must feel beside yourself. <laughs> I've got to let it go at this point and just yeah, accept it that it is, it is what it is. It's just not going to happen this year. We're going to keep this podcast super, super short and sweet. And we're going to bring you back because you're such a oh. good guy and such a soccer aficionado and, um, you know, such a decent human being. Amar Valera, Valera and Associates, um, love talking to you and we're bringing you back. Hey, I'm Dr. Brett. Thanks.